And at that time, the Rebbe not only approved of it, but he encouraged it, and he would listen to the radio broadcast on Mitzvah Shabbos, oh, wow. and then he would give Rabbi Weinberg comments afterwards, like this you said, not exactly that, you should say it differently. And the Rebbe said at that time that people think that the radio was made like to broadcast news and music and all kinds of, you know, things that people listen to the radio and that we're just sort of hitching a ride on it with the Tanya classes. The Rebbe said, no, that's not true. The radio was made to broadcast Tanya. This is a podcast from the mystical city of Tzfat, Israel, about Judaism living a Torah-observant lifestyle. We discuss a wide range of topics, including spirituality, everyday struggles, current events, and interviews with interesting people. All this from the perspective of two young Balei Tshuva who made Aliyah. Welcome to the pod. Welcome to uh, Two Chassids in a Pod. We're very excited to have our second guest so far on the show, uh, Rabbi Aaron Shafir from um, from Beersheva, connecting to us. Uh, he's a quite a successful um, tour guide in the Israeli scene. He's been on uh, doing it for years. I've been following him online for years. Uh, has quite a following there on Instagram. Yeah, quite and, the following. Uh, and we're very excited to have you on, Rebaron. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I saw you guys on Instagram. I saw the podcast you're doing. And uh, it looks like you guys are doing great stuff. And I think uh, bright things are ahead of you. Emir Tzashem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good, God willing, it will all uh, go according to just how you blessed us. Um, so we just wanted to get into uh, a little bit more of like, the, I think this is one of the major things that have been affected in this past year is, is the tourism industry. Um, I read an article recently that it was 80% of tourism is down and it's uh, equivalent to over 4 billion um, in the market. And it's a, it's a pretty crazy statistic. And, and I just wanted to see what, what exactly has your last year been like? No doubt. Um, the tourism industry is basically gone since last, uh, Purim or so. Um, this whole year I've only done two or three tours for either uh, local people or one person who was visiting for a simcha and uh, also a little bit for the seminaries you know the, the the girls schools that are here for the year and have had some small opportunities to do tourism but all the regular tourists that come are not here this year um, yeah it's been a very different year for me a lot of tour guides are suffering a lot those who rely on tourism for their only source of income are really suffering. But uh, Baruch Hashem, I'm also a Sofer Stam. You know, I write uh, Torah oh, stories, wow. Tfilin. And also I do some other stuff here and there. So I've been very busy this year, maybe even more so than than regular, but just not with uh, tourism. That's great. That's uh, I didn't know you at all. You were a Sofer Stam. Uh, when did you learn that? Uh, I started, I wrote my first Megillah when I was 18, when I learned in Yeshiva and Kirat Gat. Since then, Baruch Hashem, I've written, I'm working on my 16th Sefer Torah. Wow. And wow. then lots of mezuzahs and tefillin and stuff like that. We actually recently had a very strange uh, story with a Sefer Torah here in Sfat. 
Uh, this Shabbos actually we read in the Sefer Torah, Mishpatim, and I think during the third Aliyah, he suddenly stopped and he stopped for a long time. And apparently, a whole the whole rest of the chap of the Parsha, uh, parsha was missing, and wow. even a, a piece of the next Parsha Truma was missing. Just like it started with the next Parsha. Wow. I mean, the middle somewhere, yeah. That's so unusual. Usually yeah, the Torah scrolls say are computer checked, so those kind of things are rare to come across unless maybe the person who sewed it together maybe sewed the pages in out of order. It could be that it's a new scroll and they sewed the pages in out of order because the computer will never catch that because they scan them one page at a time usually. So anyways, that's that's pretty crazy. Wow. Have you ever heard of something like this? I have heard of it coming up. Like I said, that the pages are sewn in out of order. One also very old Torahs that were never computer checked. Like, you know, just for the listeners that may not know what I'm talking about when I say computer check, in the 1980s, uh, someone invented a software that you scan the Torah scroll into the computer and the computer uses text recognition software, learns the handwriting of the scribe, and then it's able to check the Torah scroll or Tefillin scrolls or mezuzah scrolls uh, to make sure that there's no major mistakes in there. Um, it's very, very good at catching missing words, missing letters and stuff like that, almost 100%. Other kinds of more subtle things, it's not so good at, and that's why it's still very important for a human scribe to check the the stam but because of this software it's very rare today to come across a torah scroll that's missing a letter or missing a word or or something like that but uh, some very old scrolls i just saw uh, on a forum on whatsapp for torah scribes that someone posted that um someone posted that uh they found uh, in Parshat Zechor, they were preparing the Torah scroll for Parshat Zechor, which we're reading this coming week in the synagogue. And they were looking over it to make sure it's kosher because it's a very important mitzvah that Parshat Zechor be read uh, from a kosher Torah scroll. Some say it's a mitzvah deoraita from the Torah. So he was looking it over and he saw that Amalek was written with a kaf sofit instead of a kuf. And this is a scroll from before the Holocaust that's been read hundreds of times, but uh, somehow it was overlooked every time. Wow. Wow. That's, there, so there are things, you know, we have to pay attention to everything. It's one of the, the I think also for me, is like a, when I made when I started to make tshuva, there's so much attention to detail that goes into Judaism. Right? We, we know Allah yeah. from the second you wake up until the second you go to sleep, and even how you sleep, there's Allah Right, like everything is attention to detail. So, as no matter what advanced technology you can have, uh, we can't contru- We can't trust the computer one hundred percent on on a mitzvah, on on something that's so dear to us. We have to us as the human, as the Jew, go through it and make sure that everything's kosher. That's a yeah, it's really absolutely. amazing. Absolutely. Talking about uh, this this affair, uh, stam and all this stuff, and you being a tour guide and with the whole COVID thing, is this what you're doing now? Mainly, are you doing now? Or are you still doing also? How do you? Uh, what was it? So, like, uh, wow. Well, where do I start? So, 
<laughs> I'm one of these people who's always getting myself into many more things than I have time to handle. So, um, in normal years, besides being a tour guide, I'm also a Torah scribe and I'm usually busy about half the time with each. And then I have other projects. Like I have a website called uh, mezuzahstore.com that I started about uh, 22 years ago in 1999, which sells uh, mezuzahs all over the world. And also uh, my wife, uh, Michal or Miko is her English name. She wrote a book uh, five years ago. Uh, the, the listeners won't know, but you guys can see in the video. I have the book up there actually behind me called Learn to Read Hebrew in Six Weeks which teaches people how to read Hebrew. And both of those things uh, in the last year have uh, gotten very strong, actually. It's a big bracha from Hashem that Dafka in the year when as a tour, tour guide, I have no business. These other two businesses really have uh, maybe doubled, let's say. Oh, wow. So I've been very oh, busy uh, the last year dealing with uh, those things. And planning new projects and I actually set myself up a studio because I'm doing a lot of uh, live broadcasting now of uh, Torah, Shurim and uh, Israel we, content. We just and... uh, subscribed to your uh, to your YouTube channel. It's, uh, it's jam-packed. There's a lot of stuff there. So... I wouldn't call jam-packed, but it's going to be soon. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's uh, it's one of the, the interesting things that you're saying that the, the ability to pivot um, and when one thing is uh you know so to say taken away from you um that you can that you can turn to a new direction and it's a really important thing like I, i've seen tour guides that have been doing virtual tours have you do you have any experience with that this year like have, have you done that any of them um i haven't done any virtual tours i've had a few requests for stuff like that and i referred it to my fellow tour guides um How would i don't know work? to me I'll, I'll tell you you know like most of my tours are based on Tanakh. I love to I love to do tours based on Tanakh. I love to go to a site where Shimshon Samson stood and point there and say, "Hey, you know this rock right here? Samson saw this." You know, like I love that. Uh, and I always say on my tours that I'm basically a Tanakh teacher, a Torah teacher. I just have a better classroom. Usually, the Tanakh <laughs> teacher is is reading from a book and has a whiteboard in front of them and you know, and the students are falling asleep because it's not real. And the reason I love being a tour guide is because when you take the person to the place and you show them where it happened and how it happened, it becomes real. It's not a it's not a legend anymore. It's not like some fantasy story. It's something that actually happened. It has a place. It has a time. It has a history. So to me, virtual tours is like taking all of that away and going back to the classroom model. If I want to teach a Torah class, I can teach a Torah class. Like, you know, I do that. I do that on live live streaming. I do it on, uh, I used to I used to do Twitter, uh, uh, Periscope, which was a live streaming app of, of Twitter, but they're, they're going defunct. There's a month left till they're closing that down. So now I'm transitioning more to live streaming on YouTube and, and Twitter and uh, other platforms, but uh, I know how to, you know, I can teach a class, but a virtual tour, I don't know. It's, I just don't connect to it. So I haven't been doing that. I've been referring those out. I know you're, uh, you're also a Baal Shuba, right? You said. Absolutely. 
so can you talk a little bit on the importance of um like we just started this this podcast we just started this endeavor that we're going on this this uh journey that we're on right um how important is it for a Baal specifically to be able to use um, modern tools and, and the internet to be able to, to do outreach and to get messages spread um, in ways that we, we couldn't have done in previous generations? Wow. So, um, you know, uh, I'll tell you a story with the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe that uh, back in the day, I don't know if it was the 60s, maybe, uh, they started to broadcast on Motze Shabbos uh, in New York uh, lessons in Tanya. Rabbi Yosef uh, Weinberg, Allah Shalom. If you've ever seen the book in English, Lessons in Tanya, which is like the classic kind of... Right oh, you have it. Awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like the classic kind of uh, explanation of the translation explanation of the Tanya. That book originated as radio broadcast that were done by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg every Motzah Shabbos in New York. Wow. Now at the time, like that was totally revolutionary to go and uh, start teaching Tanya on the radio. You know, Hasidus was taught by Rebbe's at the Tish, you know, at a Fabringen, after a Mimer Nugan, after all the preparations and to go put Tanya, not... Uh, stories from the Parsha or whatever, but actual straight up Hasidus on the radio was a big chidush at that time. And at that time, the Rebbe not only approved of it, but he encouraged it and he would listen to the radio broadcast on Mitzvah Shabbos. Oh, wow. And then he would give Rabbi Weinberg comments afterwards, like this, you said, not exactly that you should say it differently. And the Rebbe said at that time that people think that the radio was made like to broadcast news and music and all kinds of, you know, things that people listen to the radio and that we're just sort of hitching a ride on it with the Tanya classes. The Rebbe said, no, that's not true. The radio was made to broadcast Tanya, but in order that it should come into the vessels of the world and it shouldn't be done in a miraculous way that all these radio stations and technology and everything are set up just for Tanya, which would be like totally miraculous. So Hashem brought it about in a way that most of what's going on in the radio is news and music and sports and all of that. And the Tanya is there for those who want to see it and hear it. And then I'll take it a step uh, further. Another, another thing with the Rebbe was that when uh, cable television came out and there was the ability to do live broadcast of the Fabrengans, the Rebbe pushed very, very much to do live broadcast of all the Fabrengans that were during weekdays. The Rebbe had them invest money to bring the best technology, the best uh, television cameras, microphones, sound systems, the hookup room, if you know what that means, which had a different meaning than how people use that term today. <laughs> but they had this room, they call it the hookup room, which was, I still remember when I was in yeshiva that every yeshiva around the world of Chabad had their own little room that was connected in by telephone to the central room in 770 by which all the Fabrengans during the week would be broadcast out to all the yeshivas all over the world over the PA system. And if the Rebbe would Fabreng during the week, the 
message would go out. There was no WhatsApp or anything, but phone calls and beepers. They had beepers in those days would go off saying the Rebbe is for bringing and in every city around the world where there were Chabad Hasidim, people would run to the local place where they're doing the broadcast to listen to the for bringing over the PA system. So what I'm getting at is That's from amazing. the point of view of Hasidus and at least personally as uh, someone who's connected to Chabad, there's no question to me that if we have, you know, forget about here, I set up, I got a proper microphone, some lighting and stuff like that. But this is just recently I've been doing stuff on the internet trying to spread uh, stuff of Torah Eretz Yisrael for quite a few years just with the phone that's in my pocket and you can live broadcast you can do YouTube videos you can do so much stuff and there are so many people around the world Jews and Lahavdil non-Jews who are thirsty to hear the things that to us are just like day every day they're obvious they seem almost mundane to us after a while because we get so used to them and we have the ability to share it with people. So to me, I think like what the Rebbe said, the internet and the smartphones were not made for what people use them for. They were made for this, what we're doing right here. It's an amazing idea. Yeah. By the way, I, I want to go back to something you said before with the, with the Nach and the Torah. Like it's so awesome how you go to these places. And like that's one of the things that really helped me do tshuva. Like I saw them on a documentaries, how you saw all these archaeological places and where of back in the temple times or even before that from the Tanakh. And yeah. I wonder, like, when you have people come, do, do you have sometimes skepticals or people that are not so uh, sure? And then they come and they're, dude, are they like shocked or surprised? Does that ever happen? Um, I'll tell you, I mean, because I'm a private tour guide, usually the people who hire me, they, they hire me. So they see my website and they see what I put out there. And it's very rare that I get someone who's totally secular that, you know, that gets shocked. Um, usually what I get are religious Jews or also religious Christians who actually are coming to see what they believe be confirmed and strengthened and uh, to live it, experience it hands on. So. I don't really get much of, uh, of of what you're saying like that. And what about the the Christians? Like, how is that to be a, a religious chassid and to take uh, Christians around uh, Eretz Yisrael? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, you know, a large part of the tourism to Israel is uh, Christian tourism, including the churches and the sites which are of interest. Uh, to Christians uh, I don't do any of that I don't go to churches I don't go to sites <clears throat> connected to Yeshu and stuff like that and nevertheless I get uh, not a small amount of Christians evangelicals and others who they hire me because they want to you know the what we call the Tanakh and what they call the Old Testament is very important to them as well and they feel that uh, who could be better to bring to life the Tanakh than a religious Jew. And they want to hear it from a religious Jewish point of view. And those are always very interesting interactions to take those people around. In other words, I take Christians on essentially a Jewish tour, on a Tanakh tour. 
And those are always very interesting uh, interactions. Uh, most of them are very respectful and want to learn a lot. And every now and then I get uh, Christians that want to try and convert me. And as much as I try to stay away from it, we find ourselves having theological discussions and debates, and those are interesting as well. Well, you go to the mikveh every day, so... <laughs> most most no. days, yeah. I don't no. want to say every day, but most days. <laughs> no dipping uh, no dipping in uh, just the Jordan. In the proper no, no. Mikveh, I <laughs> yeah. So that's... Uh... In the in the course, though, I, I looked into being a, a tour guide, and that yeah. was one of the things that this that scared me. The person that I at first asked about it said, "You know, during the course, like you have to learn about um, this, that, and the other, and go to these certain places, and you have to. You can't. There's no way out of it." And I was like, mm -hmm. "How does that make sense? Can you shed more light on that process?" First and foremost, uh, let me say what you said is true. And I think it's a disgrace that uh, in the state of Israel, uh, a religious Jew can't get a tour guide license without studying things which, uh, which our religion essentially prohibits, without studying Christian theology and without learning about the architecture of churches and the art in the churches and the history and so on and so forth. I think it's... Uh, a horrible thing there should be some sort of kosher version of the tour guide license and they could stipulate on the license that you're not allowed to guide people uh, you're not allowed to guide christian tours to christian sites and i think uh, we'd be fine with that right but but the truth is that yes in order to get a tour guide license in israel you have to do a course uh they changed it recently but when i did it it was about two years plus about another half a year of uh, review and testing and, and all of that. And as part of it, you have to study the history of the land of Israel, the geology, the geography, the flora, the fauna, and also the religions, Christi Christianity, Islam, Judaism, the minorities, like the Druze and the Circassians and, uh, and others. And um, you also have to know the history and the important things about all of the major sites where tourists visit, including all the major churches in Jerusalem and around the, the Kinneret, you know. And yeah, you have to know that stuff and you have to study it. Now, if you're an Orthodox Jew, it's accepted that they don't make you go into the churches, but you do have to know the information. Not having been in there is not a an excuse to not know the information. So I did the course and yes, they tried to scare me out of it as well when I registered, but uh, I was very dedicated to doing it. And I felt that uh, there have to be tour guides who, who are going to uh, take tourists around Israel with the right outlook. And if I have to sort of uh, take in that information, I'll take it in and move on. So actually, <clears throat> excuse me, actually, as soon as I got my tour guide license, uh, I made a trip to Tzfat, especially to Toivel and the Arizal Mikvah. And I daven to Hashem that I should forget all of the not kosher things that I had to <laughs> learn about. 
in order to get the license. I don't know if I forgot all of them, but hopefully it helped. <laughs> Talking about Maya, uh, Maya Not, by the way, I remember like this summer we were in lockdown and I wanted so much to go to the to the Maya Not and I saw on your Instagram, you have so many beautiful pictures of Maya Not as well. Uh, do you have any Maya Not? Maybe in this summer, I hope we'll be able to go out to these God places. willing. Yeah. Things are opening up already now. I saw Ikea is opening on Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) My wife is excited. Are you going to do a tour there? (laughs) It's actually very difficult sometimes to find your way there. You could get lost in Ikea, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for uh, Mayonot? Like, do you have like places that you sit that are like maybe hidden or people maybe don't know about? I have some, sure. A secret, I get it. I get it. Call me afterwards. Yeah. Nick Vary, <laughs> that's a good Nick one. Nick Vary is a Mayan, isn't it? Historically, yeah, well, yeah, first of really all, Mayan. right there in Tzfat, if you hike down into the Nachalamud, you have there the what's called uh, Brichot Sechvi, uh, which is like, um, which is like, uh, there's a natural water slide there. Have you been down there to the Nachalamud? I haven't been yet. Heard I haven't been beautiful. Since I moved there, I mean, you don't want to go in the snow, but when the weather warms up, <laughs> just hike down to the valley between Sfat and Meron, and there's some really nice uh, water down there. Beautiful. Should do it. Take a trip out. Yeah. I'll definitely get out of there. What What more can you tell us about Sfat? Because I'm. We we we've been talking about Sfat. That the fact that we're here and we're broadcasting from Sfat, but. Um, just to share with some of the viewers a little bit of history. I guess this is going to be like one of your first virtual tours, but uh, <laughs> without any sightseeing, just a little bit of, about the history of Tzfat, the magic of Tzfat, um, and the importance in, in general uh, of Jews, um, Amiso, connecting to Erzisel and connecting to these holy places. Yeah, so uh, let's see the history of Tzfat. Um, Tzfat is a city that. Uh, it's been around for a long time. Uh, both in the Gemara, it's considered uh, a city that uh, goes back to the times before Yehoshua ben Nun. And also the archaeologists found there some remnants from what's called the Bronze Age, which means around the time of Avram Avinu, that there were people living there in Tzfat. Shem no? Perhaps, absolutely, perhaps. You have the cave that's, uh, that's uh, according to tradition, where the yeshiva of Shemba ever was in Tzfat. So it's a very ancient city. Uh, it's not mentioned much in the, t- in the Tanakh. Uh, it may be referenced once, but most people say that's a different Tzfat in the south of the country, and that's what makes sense. But in the second temple period there were a lot of people jews living in Tzfat, and more importantly when the base amigdash was destroyed uh you know in the base amigdash there were 24 what's called mishmura sakuhuna 24 um 24 uh, uh what do you call it um guards well not shifts shifts, shifts. that's what i'm looking for 24 shifts you know throughout the year the kohanim not all the Kohanim were in the Besa Migdash all year. They served in 24 shifts, and then on the holidays, they would all serve together because uh, you need a lot more Kohanim on staff for all the Karbanas of the Ole Rega. So when the temple was destroyed, 
the 24 Mishmar Sakuna moved to 24 different cities in the Galilee. And Sfat had one of the one of the Mishmarot of the Kohanim was living in Sfat, which means it was an important temple uh, in an important city in the Second Temple period. And, you know, there were Jews in Sfat on and off throughout history. But really, like, when did Sfat become a big and important place? Um, it started when, uh, after the destruction of Judaism in Spain, the Gerush Sfarad, after the exile of the Jews from Spain, uh, some of the greatest uh, minds of the Jewish people started to make their way to Sfat. And that's when you have the sort of golden era of uh, Tzvat, when you have people like um, Rabbi uh, Yosef Karo, who wrote the Shulchan Aruch, like the Ariza, like Rabbi Chaim Vital, like uh, Rabbi Moshe Alshech, like uh, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, uh, who wrote the Pardes Rimonim, uh, like uh, Rabbi Yisrael Najara, who wrote a lot of the Zmirot Shabbat that, uh, that we see until today. Um, and so, so many more started to gather in Sfat from all over the Jewish world, from Spain, from Italy, and from other places. And this melding of minds that happened at that time, there was never anything like it in Jewish history, at least since the times of the Talmud, I would say. And out of a window of about 100 years, from the early 1500s till the early 1600s in Sfat, we get a complete like revolutionizing of uh, Yiddishkeit, of Judaism, as far as Halacha, as far as Kabbalah, as far as uh, Minhagim, of things that we do till today. I'll give you like uh, an obvious example. Um, Kabbalah Shabbat. Before, before the Tzvat period, there wasn't really such a thing as Kabbalah Shabbat, at least not as a regular thing that Jews do in every synagogue. Maybe there were individuals who would do something for Kabbalah Shabbat, but as a whole, uh, Jews would like, you know, Davin Mincha, they'd go home, they'd make Kiddush, do the uh, Sudat Shabbat for about a half an hour, and then they'd go back to Shul and Davin Marev and go home and, you know, go to bed, learn, whatever. But there was no, there was no Kabbalah Shabbat. There was no Shalom Aleichem, Eishas Chayil, uh, all these things that we do at the Shabbos table, so many things that that to us are just basic Judaism that, you know, today even Reform synagogues have Kabbalah Shabbat, right? So that all started in Tzvat. Wow. It's amazing history that also the, the in Tzvat we have this aspect of Pshat, of like the, the Shulchan Aruch, you know, the codex of, of all Jewish law comes out of here. And then we also have the Ramak and the Arizal bringing the, the, the deepest lights of, 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 of Kabbalah down. And it's, it's kind of like, what is Tzvat? Tzvat is the Tzpit. It's the viewpoint, right? Like the, the viewpoint and what is the main view of Tzvat is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was a master in halacha to the point Absolutely. that if, if, if you get to a point where you don't know what to do, right? Like you can trust Rabbi Shimon if you know what he says on the Alakha, don't worry, don't matter. Like, don't worry about it. At the end of the day, if Rabbi Shimon has an opinion and you know it, you can trust him. Right? And also Rabbi Shimon is the Zohar. So it's it's really amazing um, how how Tzfat 
manages to to infuse these two in quite a mystical and miraculous way that well, not, really, not many communities can. It's actually, you could say, because of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the Tzfat became what it is. Because the question that you have to ask is, why did so many rabbis and Kabbalists gather in Tzfat of all places? As I said, Tzfat, you know, there is evidence of Jewish uh, life there throughout all the ages, but it was never a central uh, city in any way. It's not Jerusalem, right? Um, it, it was never, it's not Hebron, it's not Jerusalem, it's not Bethlehem, it's not any of the major biblical cities or Torah cities, you know, like how did it turn out that all these great rabbis ended up in Sfat? And one of the answers that uh, both the Jewish uh, researchers and the secular kind of researchers give is that not that long before the exile from Spain, the Zohar was revealed. So the Zohar was written by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, but it was hidden away for hundreds of years until it was revealed in Spain. And uh, when the Jews were exiled from, from Spain, those who came to Eretz Yisrael, many of the Kabbalists and the Torah scholars wanted to live near the place where the kever of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was. And that's why in Kabbalah Shabbat, for example, turn to the west. You turn west towards the Kever Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So even though I live in Be'er Sheva uh, and I'm south of, of Tzfat, we turn west, but it doesn't really make sense here. In Tzfat, it makes sense. Because the Shechina, turning west, the Shechina is in the west. But also they would face the Kever of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And, um, Wow, and uh, that that's really the sort of like magnet that drew one of the things let's say at least that drew so many uh, people to Tzvat there were other economic reasons it was somewhat of an economic center at that time and a lot of the Jews who came from Spain were in the textile industry and wool uh, there was a textile flows. industry there what's that? the wool like sheep wool and, and yeah uh, yeah dyeing and, and weaving textiles so but, you know, there were other places in Israel where there were textiles uh, being made as well. And the combination of that giving the ability to have a Parnassah, but more importantly, they wanted to be uh, near Rashbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Close to the Tzadik. Yeah, it's very interesting you say that because nowadays it's definitely not a hub for business. And now the only people that yeah. come here, it can only be because of the Kedusha that you have, or only because of the spirituality. It's kind of like they took the, the other thing out and now it's just spirituality. It's uh, Someone asked today, I, I, I don't know if you saw Rabaron on, on Instagram, I put up like, let people ask you some questions before we get on here. Um, I saw them just before I came on. <laughs> and, uh, Do you want me to answer the, them here or on Instagram? No, whatever you want. You you can decide. We can, we can get to some of them. Um, but one of them was like, it wasn't a question. It was just like a, someone saying they enjoy our show. And he says, how do people in Tzfat make a livelihood? Like, how do you do that? <laughs> so I put up, Tzfat is Rashi Tebot is an acronym for Tzachim Parnasat Amid. We always need help with Parnasat. Mm -hmm. That's the city. There's nothing, nothing can help it. But yeah, go ahead. If you have them written down, if you want to get to, if you want to get into some of them. Also, you know, uh, the thing about the Parnassah and Sfat, on the one hand, you're right, uh, it's hard to make a Parnassah and Sfat. On the other hand, it's a relatively low cost of living. So Exactly. That's, That's the reason I'm here. I left you in to cut my living in half in this uh, unstable economy. 
Not your life, yeah. but your living. <laughs> but yeah, you said indeed, it was very interesting how 200 years ago, 300 years ago, or how many hundred years ago, like all these Kabbalists came here. And it was been such a hub of Tzadikim and, and like very Kedusha place. But it's very interesting because if you I talk to people that have been here for like 10, 20, 30 years, even five years, actually, they said like, there was almost nothing here. Like it was mainly a secular place. It was kind of like the Elat of the North. I heard people say people came here for holidays to go into a hotel. And but in the last Bet Havra, years, there was a Bet Havra in Svat, which is like uh, it's like um, there's a term for it in English that I forget, but it's it's like a place where the labor unions send you once or twice a year to just go and sit around and get fed good food and breathe clean air and just, uh, you know, heal yourself and uh, gather strength after working hard for a period of time. What went wrong there? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when be. the state of Israel was established, of course, uh, the people who were at the forefront of establishing the state were generally secular people. And generally, they're, at least their overt uh, approach, we could argue about what was hidden deep in their heart, but at least their overt stated approach was to create a secular state uh, to a great extent divorced from the Jewish religion. Uh, and, you know, yeah, they saw Tzfat as a beautiful mountain town that could be like the Alps of Israel where you could have... Um, you know, living in the forest and the mountains, fresh air, artists and things like that. And actually, the the artist colony in Sfat was originally uh, Muslim houses. And in 1948, in the War of Independence, the Muslims fled Sfat, uh, and that whole area was left uh, like uh, abandoned, and homeless people were moving in, and drug addicts, and all kinds of. People, so the state of Israel announced that any artist who will come and set up a studio in those old Arab houses and display their artwork there for a certain period of time will get ownership of that house. And that's how the artist colony was. Good deal. Uh, I, I just got the history <laughs> of my uh, neighborhood. That's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's interesting to know. It's wow. amazing. It's amazing. Tzfat is a really interesting place. What's your favorite place in Israel? Everybody always asks me that. Uh, what do you want? What do you want? <laughs> I don't know. It's like it's like when people. It's like if someone asks me who's my favorite child. You know, how do you how do you answer that? There's so many yeah, so beautiful places in Eretz Yisrael. There's so many holy places in Eretz Yisrael. How can you say if you love more the Kever of Rashbi or Marsa Machpelah, or how can you say if you love more? floating in the Dead Sea or standing in the snow on the Hermon like I did last week? Or how can you say if you uh, love more to go to the side of uh, Yaakov's uh, dream of the Yaakov's ladder and Bethel or the side of the Mishkan in Shiloh or Har Grizim and Har Eval? Uh, you know, I don't know how you decide among those things. It's a good answer. <laughs> it's true. It's all so beautiful. Mimetula de like we say here in Israel. You cut out for a second. Say that again. I said, Mi Metula Adelat, like we say here, from Metula until Elat, and soon uh, into Jordan. 
Well, Metula Adela was before we had the Golan Heights, so exactly. Now yeah. you go even more. Now that's true. we're further north. Wow, yeah, and and now in the last, I I think it was a good sign. Like in the last five years, it's been going so well. Like the communities here has been blossoming so much. You just got so much kadusha. Like big rebbies come here all the time. It's fat. It's fat. You mean? Yeah. Baruch Hashem. You know, I have a brother who lived in Sfat for quite a few years. Now he lives in Baltimore. But when he was living in Sfat, I used to visit uh, Sfat regularly. And I've seen over the last 20 years or so how things are developing. It's very nice to see Baruch Hashem. So one of the, the, the questions on Instagram, the one that you've answered quite a few of them, the, the main one that we, that we left out is, People want to know when when do you see tourism picking back up? I don't even know if you can answer that question, but uh, maybe uh, you have some insider information. When people asked me this a year ago, when people asked me, first of all, I'm not a prophet. I can only do my best analysis. But uh, when people asked me a year ago, I told them that I think uh, maybe we'll have the first beginning of opening up around Pesach time. And by the summer, maybe it will be back like 60% and it'll probably be a whole nother year till it's back 100%. So I still think that's uh, correct because uh, my, my logic behind that was very simple that, uh, that even if uh, last summer, even if there would be a dip in the cases, which there was to some extent, but they won't be able to fully open up until we pass through the winter and see how the winter goes. And if the winter goes well and we have the vaccines and everything is in place, then by this spring, hopefully they'll be able to start to open up at least to people who are vaccinated or who have uh, had Corona already. And hopefully by the summer more so, and uh, it'll probably be another full year till things get back uh, anywhere close to 100%. Hopefully Pesach is the time of Cherut, uh, of freedom. So, uh, Exodus. Hopefully my prediction will be right, but instead of just the tourists coming back, all of Am Yisrael will come back uh, to the Beis HaMikdash. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So, uh, I really want to thank you, Rabbi Aaron. Uh, it was amazing. Amazing to learn. Uh, you have so much insight to share and uh, yeah. on social media as well. Um, tour guide Aaron, if anyone wants to look, A A R O N, tour guide Aaron on Instagram, um, and also a website. We'll put the links. Uh... Yeah, we'll put the web, the links all down below. Um, really, thank you so much for for one, just zrima, uh, just flowing with us and being like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, thank and, you so much. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you guys very much. I'm very excited about your new uh, podcast and I think you guys have a lot of good stuff you can do. And I think that uh, it's very important that every uh, Jew use the technology to spread as much uh, good, positive things uh, as possible. So I'm very happy to come on with you guys. Zat and Hashem. I hope to visit you when I'm in Tzfat, Emir Sashem. That, that's what I was about Welcome, to say. Yeah. This is the virtual meeting, but hopefully soon we'll have a real Fabrengen with a nice Lechaim here in Tzfat. And if you, guys are, if you guys are willing to leave the holiness of Tzfat to come to Beersheva, the city of Avram Avinu, you're welcome anytime to come down for a Shabbos. Of course. Zat Hashem. Zat Hashem. From one holiness to another holiness. Exactly. Thank you so much, Rabbi Thank you. God bless you guys. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.